Clostridioides difficile, otherwise known as C. difficile infection, is that pestilent bacterium that continues to be a plague in 2023. But fortunately, we have wonderful new updates to share with you on this episode of GI Insights. Welcome to IBD Crosstalk for GI Insights on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. Neil Nandi, and joining me to discuss the latest updates in 2023 in C. difficile treatment and management is Dr. Monica Fisher. Dr. Fisher is a professor of medicine and the director of the IBD program and the stool transplant program at Indiana University. Dr. Fisher, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. This is a really exciting time, right? We have the first microbiome-derived therapeutic for the prevention of C. difficile that's been approved, RBX2660, otherwise known as Rebiota. So with stool transplant having been a standard regimen in refractory C. diff, how do you decide where to place this new arsenal or this new tool in the management of C. difficile? So Rebiota is a great product. They had really excellent results in the clinical trial, but we have to remember that it is an animal formulation and I would decide where position um, this formulation based upon the route of administration that would be the most advantageous for my patient. And how I decide what would be the best route of administration will depend on the following. I would still prefer colonoscopy in patients who are younger, have no clear risk factors for developing CDF. I want to rule out IBD. They have upper GI dysfunction, dysmotility, or patients who have fulminant CDF infection with ileus hoping that very soon we will have capsule formulation on the market. And as probably you can imagine, most patients would prefer capsule formulation simply because of the ease of administration. They don't require sedation. There are no procedure-related complications, and often they don't need bowel prep or just minimal bowel prep, and overall is more cost-effective. And what we have seen so far from clinical trials and cohort studies that colonoscopy and capsule administration were overall a little bit more effective compared to animal administration. And I think simply because there's a significant variability in patient's ability to hold the animal. Having said that, I'm very excited that Rebiota is on the market and it is going to be available. Hopefully insurance will pay for it and we will be able to offer this option to our patients. Absolutely. So let's say you've ruled out IBD. Let's say you've ruled out all these other things. Oral encapsulated is not aesthetically preferable to the patient nor available. Are there a specific subset in who you would be using the enema version? I mean, anybody would prefer that, honestly. But then also we have to consider that the provider's office has to be prepared to offer this option. So they will need a room dedicated to the procedure. They will have a nurse who will administer the animal. will have to observe the patient at least for a little while. You know, there was another tool that we've been using for the right patient, which was antitoxin, bezlatoximab, you know, which has been out on the market for several years, which was also for the prevention of recurrence C. diff. How do you see bezlatoximab in conjunction with the enema? You know, our positioning of these therapies is changing in real time. Are there particular patients in whom you would be using the antitoxin? Well, unfortunately, the insurance coverage for bezlatoximab varied greatly between states and um, state of Indiana. We were not quite lucky in obtaining insurance coverage. So I don't really have much experience personally, but I know many colleagues of mine throughout other centers and states have. I think its use will be 
a bit limited or reduced now that we have the availability of rebiota. I think it will still have its role in patients who fail FMT or microbiome and based therapeutic products. So I, right now, I still would prefer and want to use it in patients who fail an FMT twice. I think for patients who are very high risk for recurrence of C. diff, such as they had two episodes already within six months, they're immunocompromised, they have underlying IBD, it still will remain a reasonable option. And it certainly can be a concomitant therapy with the microbiome-based therapies. And so I think you hit all the pertinent things, but probably the most salient is insurance access. You know, we've been able to get bezlituximab in my Northeast region, but again, it's about coordinating a timely infusion during antibiotic treatment. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, how these therapies play out in the management of C. diff, but it's exciting that we have better options than we have ever before. Totally agree. And also a limitation of the bezlituximab was that you can only give it once and you have to be careful in patients who have history of heart failure or have severe underlying cardiovascular disease because they certainly precipitate heart failure. And it's not cheap. So I'm glad we have newer therapies. A hundred percent. For those just tuning in, you're listening to GI Insights IBD Crosstalk on ReachMD. I'm Dr. Neil Nandi, and I'm speaking with Dr. Monica Fisher about updates in C. difficile treatment. Now, Monica, let's talk about a couple of the most pertinent practical details of day-to-day practice that's relevant to GIs, primary care, or any specialist with a patient who has C. diff. How are you managing proton pump inhibitors in your practice when it comes to C. diff? So actually, do not recommend discontinuation as long as the patient has a valid indication for its use. So I really assess all my patients, especially recurrent CETA, for the appropriateness of their PPI therapy. And if the PPI is unnecessary, then I discontinue. But if they have a valid reason, I continue. And why? Because the association between the increased risk of CDF and PPI really comes from cohort studies. And we all know that there's a lot of heterogeneity, unknown confounders, and really lack of those response and relationship in those studies. And even if you look at populations in those studies who have the higher stress are developing CDF. So those are the hospitalized patients who are on antibiotics. The number needed to harm in these studies are quite high, somewhere between 30 to 50. And the most relevant or highest quality evidence against discontinuing PPI in patients or boarding about PPI and the development in CDF comes from a large randomized control trial led by Paul Moyadi that included 17,000 patients who were either on aspirin or rivaroxaban, and they were randomized to either taking pantoprazole or a placebo. They were followed for three years, and at the end, there was no significant difference in the incidence of CDF associated with PPI compared to placebo. So there were only nine cases of CDF in the PPI group compared to four cases in the control group. That really convinced me that as long as a patient needs the PPI, I'm not going to worry about it. And I would rather use other methods and treatments to reduce the risk of recurrency death. Awesome. You mentioned antibiotics. We know that's a significant risk factor for causing C. diff. What is the role of probiotics? Every year, it seems we have new meta-analyses that come out. What is the latest word, Monica, on the role of probiotics in primary or secondary prophylaxis? I think finally we have a clear answer. I like to believe we do. 
at least two major societies guidelines, the ACG guidelines from 2021 and the AGA guidelines, both agree that there is really no role for probiotics in the management of CEDA, neither in primary prevention nor in secondary prevention. Actually, these recommendations are based on the highest quality evidence. ACG actually recommend against the use of probiotics for both primary and secondary prevention of CEDA. And again, the highest quality evidence really comes from the PLACID trial, which was the largest primary prevention trial performed in the UK. We learned on nearly 3,000 patient experience that when they were treated with four-strain combination of certain lactobacilli and bifido and bacterium, there was really no difference in antibiotic-associated diarrhea or C. diff development, whether they took probiotics or they took placebo. For another study showing no benefit of probiotics in primary prevention really comes from a more recent multi-center system-wide U.S. study that implemented prescribing a three-strain probiotic mixture to all hospitalized patients who were older than 50 and received a systemic antibiotic. And they followed them for 13 months among four hospitals and really found no value in giving them probiotics when they were um, treated with systemic antibiotics. For secondary prevention, we have the PICO trial, which was a small but a very well done randomized trial. Again, trialing a four-strain probiotic compared to placebo and found no difference in the rate of CEDA recurrence. So when you look at the highest quality data of clinical trials, then overall the conclusion is that there is no role from probiotics. And we cannot forget that they are not risk-free. There are many case reports describing infection from probiotics in immunocompromised patients. And there is a small but a very well done study from Israel published in Cell a couple of years ago that suggested that actually probiotics may impede normal recolonization following antibiotics compared to autologous FMT, which actually helped or facilitated a normal recolonization. And it's super expensive. I mean, it's estimated that we spend over $40 billion a year in the U.S. on probiotics, right? And, and unregulated. And, and so Correct. And unregulated. unregulated. I should have started with that. Totally <laughs> agree. So, Monica, looking to the future, right? Again, this is 2023, some great updates now. Are there any new products or therapies on the horizon for C. diff that are not approved yet, but in clinical development? Yeah, and I'm very excited about at least two. CR109 is coming. It's an um, encapsulated formulation of isolated pharmacid spores, and they showed excellent efficacy. And their Ecospore 3 data showed that patients who at least had two recurrences had 88% response rate, meaning that at eight weeks, they were on C. diff free. And even their follow-up open label or Ecospore 4 study showed higher efficacy, 91% of overall response at eight weeks. And patients who were treated after the first recurrence actually had 94% response rate. And importantly, they followed these patients up to 24 weeks. There was no significant relapse. So their results were durable. I'm also excited about Vedanta Biosciences product that's called the VA303. They presented their phase two trial data at DDW earlier last year, 
and they showed that they can achieve 86% success rate at eight weeks. And this product will be the first rationally selected bacterial strains that are clonal, human, commensal, bacterial flora type bacteria. So we will exactly know what's in there. So that would kind of mimic the ideal or perfect probiotic that finally will actually work for CDF. Um, and we will exactly know what's in there. So I'm very excited about this. It is exciting, Dr. Fisher, that we have so many products. This is a jam-packed, powerful audio session with so much great review of latest literature. All thanks to you, Dr. Fisher. So thanks for being a lighthouse of information. Are there any last points you want our audience to take home? So I'm hoping that in the future, we will be able to use these products earlier in the treatment paradigm. So meaning we can position them earlier because just extrapolating from the ECHOSPORE 4 data so maybe if we can use these capsule formulations, you know, finishing our antibiotic treatment for even the initial or maybe the first recurrence of CDEF, then we can cure everybody 100% front and we would have to worry about recurrence. And honestly, I think we're going to get there. Thank you so much, Monica, for being on our program today. Thank you. It was lovely to be on your show. Absolutely. Anytime. For ReachMD's IBD Crosstalk, I'm Dr. Neil Nandi. To access this and other episodes in the series, please visit reachmd.com slash GI Insights, where you can be part of the knowledge. Thanks for listening.